the Lord today, and we're thankful that you can be a part of this uh, assembly, and as we study the uh, the Word together for a few minutes uh, this morning. I might mention next Sunday, I'm going to be uh, away, I'm going to be with the church in uh, Bedford, Virginia, uh, from Sunday through Wednesday, uh, teaching a series of lessons there on the subject of church discipline as they get prepared to uh, establish an eldership in that church for, I don't know if it's the first time, or at least the first time in many, many years. And uh, so uh, I'll be away for that. Uh, Ryan O'Rourke is going to be preaching here. I know you'll enjoy hearing Ryan. I appreciate him so much being willing to come and to uh, uh, fill in uh, for me next Sunday. And uh, encourage you to be here for, uh, for that, to, uh, to hear Ryan. You just heard read a few minutes ago the familiar story, Matthew 20, of how James and John, two of Jesus' disciples, through their mother, approached Jesus and asked him for prominent places in the kingdom, the right hand and the left hand. I suppose that would be something like vice president and secretary of state or something. I don't know exactly how they were thinking of it. But they wanted positions of power and prominence in the kingdom as they perceived of it. Jesus asked them, are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? Notice he doesn't address their mom. He addresses them. He knows this is coming from them. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? And they said, yes. And he said, you will drink that cup, that cup of suffering. But he says, that request that you're making is not mine to grant. Those decisions are the decisions of the Father alone. And so they didn't really understand what they were asking, but Jesus pointed them in the right direction. But as he did so, the other ten apostles became indignant, Matthew says, at the two brothers. I guess they wanted those places for themselves. I don't know. But they were indignant at what they were asking. And so Jesus saw the unrest the tension that was being created among his disciples. And he used this as an occasion to teach a lesson about uh, his kingdom, but to teach a lesson about what greatness means in his kingdom. And the lesson was simply that greatness in his kingdom means service. It doesn't mean domination. It doesn't mean power. It doesn't mean authority. It doesn't mean clout. It means service to others. Very different from the kingdoms of this world, he says, not lording it over other people, but serving them. And then as an example of that, he gives himself, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. One of the most amazing things about the life of Jesus is that he, being God in the flesh, could have come in any form or fashion that he wanted to, could have demanded anything he wanted to demand, could have required anything he wanted to require, but he came and was a servant and gave his life as a ransom for many. Now, when Jesus said that, he used an expression that is another way of explaining what the cross was all about, and that's the word ransom. He gave his life as a ransom for many. We all know what a ransom is. If somebody's kidnapped and being held hostage, then the ransom is the price that has to be paid to set them free. I thought it was kind of interesting as I was preparing this, a, a, a message popped up on my computer screen warning me to be aware of ransomware and, uh, and giving advice on when, when to decide whether or not to pay the ransom. 
and I thought, I don't have anything on this computer that's that valuable to be worried about. And I'm glad that I don't. But we understand what ransom is. And, and to have your, your data held hostage would be bad enough. But to be held hostage yourself, to me, is unimaginable. What that must be like and the fear and the apprehension that that would bring to be kidnapped and held for ransom. But you know, it happens all over the world thousands of times every year that people are kidnapped and held for ransom until somebody pays the price. And what, it must, what a relief it must be when somebody comes through. Somebody comes to the rescue. Somebody pays the price. Somebody sets you free by paying what's being demanded. And that's exactly what Jesus said he came to do for many. Actually, for the whole world, he came to do it for everyone to give his life as a ransom for many, to pay the price to set us free. He came to rescue us when we could not rescue ourselves. When the Apostle Paul talked about praying for all rulers and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, he adds, this is good, it's pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. There aren't many texts in the scriptures that use that word, but here it is in 1 Timothy chapter 2, a ransom for all. A.J. Gordon was a prominent Baptist minister in the 19th century, and he once went into the pulpit in this church in Boston where he was preaching, and he had a a little rusty wire birdcage with him, and, and he told the congregation a story about this birdcage. He said, I was out in the front of the, the church building this week, and he said a little boy came along, and he had this birdcage, and he had some little birds in the cage. And he said, where did you get the birds? And the boy said, well, I trapped them out in the field. And he said, well, what are you going to do with them? And he said, well, I'm going to play with them for a while, and then I'm going to feed them to the cat. And Gordon said, I'll tell you what, I'll give you $2. Remember, this is the 19th century. I'll give you $2 for the cage and the birds. And the little boy said, these are just old field birds, mister. You don't want these, you don't want these birds. They're not worth anything. He said, no, $2 for the cage and the birds. And thinking he really had a bargain, the little boy sold them to Gordon. And then after the boy left, Gordon went around behind the building and opened the cage and set the birds free. And he took that birdcage into the pulpit with him that Sunday and told that story as an illustration of what it means to be ransomed, what it means to be redeemed. But you know, there's an enormous difference between Gordon's story and what Jesus did. Gordon didn't buy the birds with his life. And Jesus paid for us with his life. We need to ask a question here. Why did you and I need to be rescued? Who kidnapped us? What did we need to be set free from? Down through the centuries, some people have tried to press this imagery of ransom further than I think it ought to be pressed. I think the idea is simply that a price is paid to set us free, but some have said that Jesus paid a ransom to Satan to set us free that the price that Satan demanded was the blood of Jesus, and so Jesus 
paid the price. I don't know about you, but I find that a repulsive idea. Repulsive not only because of the idea that, that Jesus would accede to a demand of Satan, but because he's more powerful than Satan, isn't he? Remember that parable that Jesus told when he, he talked about the casting out of the demons and he compared it to binding a strong man so you can invade the strong man's house? And the strong man, Satan, the one who sent those demons, and Jesus is the stronger who can bind him. So he's not paying a ransom to the devil. Others have said, well, he must have paid the ransom to God. And again, that's a repulsive idea to think that that God and Jesus were at odds that way, that God has us held captive, and he says to Jesus, I'm not going to set them free unless you die. I don't think that's the idea at all. How would Jesus, who's God in the flesh, be at odds with God the Father? They both wanted everybody to be saved. Isn't that what Paul said in 1 Timothy 2? God who desires all people to be saved. He wasn't holding us for ransom. The analogy of the ransom isn't a perfect one because there isn't a ransomer. There is not a kidnapper involved here. We need to ask, we don't need to ask to whom the ransom was paid. The idea is simply that a price was paid to set us free, but then we still need to ask for what? <coughs> set us free from what and set us free for what? Paul answers that in the letter to the Galatians. In Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13, he said, Christ redeemed, and the word literally here is purchased or bought. Christ bought us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Because it was written in the law, cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree. And so Jesus accepted that curse on our behalf and became a curse for us to set us free, Paul says, from the curse of the law. Now some folks read that and say, yeah, that law, that was a curse. No, it wasn't. The law was God's gift to his people Israel. The law was God's gift to show people how to live. The law was God's gift to reveal his will so that people would know how to live in a way that was good for them and it would allow them to draw near to God. The curse of the law, what Paul is talking about, is simply the fact that we never could keep it. Israel never could keep it. You and I can't keep it. Nobody can keep it perfectly. And if you can't keep a law, it can't save you. And so he says we were redeemed from the curse of the law. Then in chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, he compares us to children who haven't yet come of age, children who are under a guardian. And he says, in the same way also, when we were children, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem Again, purchase or buy back those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Our captivity, our enslavement was to sin. And our sin was made worse by the fact that even the law of God couldn't help us. Even the law of God couldn't set us free. So that we became slaves of what Paul calls the elementary principles, or some translations say the elemental spirits of the world. All the forces of evil 
that pull us away from God, and there are lots of them, aren't there? All those forces of evil that would pull us away from God without the death of Christ, we are enslaved to those. You see, the problem isn't just that people do bad things. The problem is that we can't stop doing bad things without divine help. And we can't get forgiveness for the bad things we do without God's merciful grace. We become enslaved to sin and we have no way out. Paul describes that in Romans 7, 21 to 25. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Paul says, I know the right thing to do. I know that from God's law, and I want to do that. But somehow it's just always so easy to do the opposite. I find it to be a law, he says. I find it to be a principle that I'm held captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, he cries. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He's the only one who can free the captives. See, the point is, if you haven't been set free by Christ and what he did on the cross, you're still enslaved to sin. And if you die in that sin, then you remain separated from God for all eternity. But through Jesus, you can be set free from sin, no matter how strong a hold it has on you or how long you've been held by it. The blood of Christ is more than enough to set you free. Very early in my ministry, I encountered a woman who began to express to me her sorrow about her life and, and how she wished it had been otherwise. And I said, but I have some good news for you. You can be redeemed from that. You can be set free from that. Christ will forgive you of your sins. And she said with such a sad voice, but you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've done. And I told her, it doesn't matter what you've done. The power of the blood of Christ can set you free. I wasn't able to persuade her of that. She thought that her sins were more powerful than the blood of Jesus. I want you to know today that no matter what you have done, when you did it, where you did it, how long you did it, where you've come from, there is nothing that the blood of Christ cannot set you free from. We've been ransomed from sin, but the ransom was costly. It was Jesus' blood shed on the cross. In 12th century Europe, King Richard I of England was captured and held for ransom by the, the Holy Roman Emperor Henry VI. And Henry VI set the ransom at 100,000 pounds of silver. 100,000 pounds of silver. You know how much just a little bit of silver jewelry costs, don't you? 
100,000 pounds of silver. In the 16th century, in South America, the Inca, Inca emperor Atahualpa paid off his Spanish captors, hoping to save his life. It didn't work. But hoping to save his life, he paid them a room filled with gold. The room was 22 feet long by 17 feet wide, and he piled the gold eight feet high. And then they took out all the gold, and he did the same thing with silver. And they took out all that silver, and they filled it with silver again. That was his ransom. One of the costliest ransoms in history, worth billions of dollars in today's economy. But Jesus paid an even higher ransom for our souls, Peter said. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to everyone's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, not with all the gold that Atahualpa had, not with all the silver that was paid for Henry, uh, Richard I, not with precious things such as gold or silver, perishable things such as gold or silver, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. A one-of-a-kind Ransom. There's never been another one that comes even close. Now, you and I need to know that for two reasons. Reason number one is so that we will be grateful to Jesus for coming to our rescue. Being willing to stop at nothing, to pay the price of his own blood to free us from the bonds of sin... We need to be thankful today that he did what he did. But the other reason we need to know about the price of that ransom is so that we'll be motivated to live our lives as free of sin as, as we possibly can do. Peter already said it. Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. In other words, while you're in this life, live carefully, knowing that Jesus paid a high price to set you free. Don't live in such a way that you're going to end up walking right back into the prison that he died to set you free from. Conduct yourselves, he says, carefully with fear throughout the time of your exile. And Paul makes the same point in 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 20. After warning the Corinthians not to practice sexual immorality, and reminding them that each Christian's body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. He says, you are not your own. You are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. What do you do with your life knowing that Jesus died for you? What do you do with your body knowing that Jesus died for you? What do you do with your decisions morally and ethically and spiritually knowing that Jesus died for you? You live your life in such a way that brings honor and glory to him. Because he paid the price for us, we now belong to him. So we're called to live in a way that pleases him, not in a way that, that gratifies the flesh. Jesus came to the rescue. We have a foreshadowing of that in the Old Testament. In the unlikely place that we might not think of, the story of Ruth. 
Remember the story of Ruth and, and this man Boaz? And Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi, were, were widowed, and they went, they went back to, to Palestine, and they were living there, and they were in poverty. They were both widows. They had no source of income, nobody to provide for them. And Ruth began to glean in the fields of this man named Boaz, and he was kind to her. And, and then Naomi found out about it, and she said, you know, this man, if you read Ruth chapter 2 very carefully, this man is our redeemer he is a redeemer what was she talking about she was talking about the practice in ancient israel taught in the law of moses of the kinsman redeemer that if someone died a man died and he left no heir then it was up to his nearest living relative to marry the widow why to provide an heir for him to keep his name alive one thing but also to take care of his property and make sure that it stayed in the family and through that to provide for the survivors, to rescue them from their poverty. And so Boaz went to the nearest living relative and he said this widow Ruth is in dire straits and there is some property that her husband had, are you willing to buy that property? And this nearer relative said, yes, I'm willing to buy the property. And he said, by the way, if you buy the property, you, you get Ruth. And he said, well, I, I can't do that. And so he declined a God-given responsibility. And Boaz said, then I'll do it. And Boaz stepped in and became the redeemer and he rescued Ruth and he rescued Naomi and he rescued the heritage of his relatives and through that was born King David and through him came Jesus the Messiah who rescued all of us Jesus has come to the rescue by giving his life in order that we might live forever. He opens the door. He makes it possible for us to go through. But it is up to you to walk through that door. It is up to you to trust the power of his sacrifice. That no matter what you may have done, his blood can wash it away. And to confess your faith in him as you turn away from sin. And then as you are baptized into Jesus and die with him and die to sin, Paul says, and rise to walk in newness of life. Set free, ransomed, rescued by the only one who could have done it. If you haven't been rescued yet, Today's your opportunity. Come and tell us while we stand and sing.